Father, just be with us as we gather around the scriptures. Help us, grow us, speak to us in your precious name. Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Peter, 1 Peter. And um, just as a reminder that everything we're trying to do is to look at what does it mean for us to live as disciples, followers, apprentices to Jesus in this vast city of Los Angeles and its surrounding neighborhoods. Um, we have to learn to follow Jesus in a uniquely different way, I think, in wherever you live. Um, Jesus is the same, but the environment changes, so we have to figure that out. And so what we're trying to do is learn how to do that at this current season from 1 Peter. And as we remember, 1 Peter, Peter's writing as an old, old man writing to these exiles in Asia Minor that had to escape from Jerusalem. And it's very much tied to the text from Jeremiah 29, because there were people in exile, and the prophet writes to them to give them a word about how they should live where they're at. There's a time coming when their exile will be over. And Peter's doing the same thing. He's telling them how to live as exiles where they are, but a time is coming, a promise, there's a day coming when all that will be dealt with. But how do, we, how do they live then? So what we want to learn and take out of that and extract from the story is how do we live as exiles in a place that's not actually our home anymore in terms of our values and the things that are dear to us. We might feel at home in terms of the city and the coffee shops and the restaurants and the theaters. And, but in terms of it's the essence of who we are, this is not our home. Our home is in another place. We're breathing a different atmosphere. And so we can learn from this on how to live here and live well as disciples of Jesus. I think that's the thing we're trying to learn. So the last two weeks, we, we had a potluck. I hope you enjoyed the potluck. I think, it was a, I think it was a really good time. The week before, um, I actually spoke from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 on the whole thing of head coverings and that. And so it was like a, a once-off that as we get into the next few weeks will help us, I think, understand. So if you di- weren't here trying to listen to that talk, I think it was, it was helpful. Today, what I'm going to cover, we've actually covered this text two weeks, three weeks ago as well. There's some, some other stuff I feel like I want to draw out of it before we jump into the next section of the book. Um, I feel like there were some areas that maybe didn't cover well or there was too much. So if you can bear with me, we're going to look at some of those things again. So we're going to read from 1 Peter. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 3, just to give a setting, and then we're going to jump into chapter 2 where we are. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and going up to verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. I love that line. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And I'm going to jump to chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, aliens, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's an amazing, especially that first section speaking about kind of what Jesus has done for us that leads us to where we are going to be and what we will do. I want to read it from two other, the, the similar thing from two other texts. Because um, I want us to see that this, this is Peter writing, but Paul, when he's writing, is writing similar things to to God's people, trying to encourage them. He says this in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And it's almost the same wording. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking that Peter has read Paul. You know, late in Peter, he says, Paul wrote some things that are really difficult to understand. That Peter writes that. So I think he's read this. And he thought, oh, that's a good greeting. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It feels so wordy, but as you just sit and ponder and read that text, it is so rich. Um, and I love just reading the scriptures because say better than we can preach. Colossians 1, um, read a few verses from there, verses 12 and 13. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. There's this idea that we've been taken out of one place and put into another place, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of evil into the kingdom of, our, of, of Jesus. So th this is this whole text, which led us in then into, but you are a chosen race. And so 
It's important to understand, I think, that as we engage our world, as we live as exiles in our world, it's important to know who we are. Because if we don't know who we are, then we're going to just get tossed around by every wind of doctrine and every latest Instagram and Facebook page and this and that. And, um, you know, I post a photo and only 10 people like it and then I, I'm depressed. Or I post a photograph and Erin doesn't like it and then I'm depressed. Or she posts a photograph and I don't like it and she's depressed. And we, you know, because that's how our world works at the moment. Uh, I, I, I watch some of the young people in the schools and they, they're doing things and they're not getting the likes and they are, because we don't, we've forgotten who we are. We are at the, the, the whim and fancy of what other people think. And we have to come to this real, realization who we are. And Peter writes this, he says, you are this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God, you are his possession. And if we can come to truly, truly come to grips with who we are in Christ, we will be able to live in the worst of exile, in the worst of darkness. We will be able to live and stand firm. And it behooves us to actually figure that one out. Um, but when he says you are, what he's saying is it's, it's something that's already been established. It's not you are becoming his people. It's not you are becoming something. You are, because of Jesus and your trust in Jesus, you are. This has been established and it continues to be so. You, it's not like you are and then you're not. You are. You can enhance it. You can strengthen it. You can come to a greater understanding of it. You can walk into greater freedom within it as you delve in, but you are. The Wazalewski boys are Wazalewskis. You know, as they grow, they will learn what that means. They will get to know their dad more and more and more. They'll get to know their mom more and more and more. They will walk in the Wazalewski way more and more. They will be rebellious at some point, as all children are. But they are Wazalewski. Just look at them. Do we look like our Father in heaven? Do we smell like our Father in heaven? Do we talk like our Father in heaven? Do our actions represent our Father in heaven? That's what it means to grow in what we are, but we are that. Um, and it's because of what Jesus has done. It's not because of what we have done. It's because of what Jesus has done. So you are. Can you say, I am? Can you say that? I am. I am the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. I am. I'm established in God. We, we need to get that. Um, Tyler and I were talking a little bit last night um, over a glass of water, because that's what we just drink water. Um, just talking about the state of things and how easy it is to fall away, how easy it is to be shaken by what's happening in our world. And I think God is looking for a people who will stand firm. You know, it says in the last days, people will fall away. And I think we're in the last days since Jesus, you know, ascended. I think these are the last days. So, but in the last days, people will fall away from the faith. And, we, and it's seeing. And, and maybe they were all right and we're the all wrong ones. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. But we need to know who we are and say, because of that, I'm going to live a certain way. But you are. And then it says, so that. 
so that. It's not like you are, ah, I am. It's you are so that you can do something. It's not for like a nebulous pie in the sky stuff. It's got a concrete reason why you are. And it says this, you are, that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you cannot proclaim the excellencies of him if you don't believe you've come out of darkness into light. So you've got to figure that one out. That's where you've got to know you are. Because you can only be you are if you've been come out of darkness into light. So we have to proclaim these excellencies. The shorter uh, English catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Does anyone know the answer to that? Does anyone remember those? Not Brian, as he knows. What is the chief end of man? It says in the greater catechism. I don't know what year was that written, Ron? 1600 and something, 1700 and something. The chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. In essence, that's why we exist, is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. And we do that through our work, and we do that through our play, and we do that through our relationships, and we do that through our sleep, and our relaxation, and our eating, and our, we just do it. We want to enjoy God, and we want to glorify God. But you can only do that if you know who you are. Um, someone, I was reading somewhere, they said the percentage where, if you read the, the Gospels, Jesus, Jesus either going to a meal, is at a meal, or is leaving a meal. You know, this, we have to see that this God thing involves everything that we're about, not just this little bit here. Um, so when we say we want to proclaim his excellencies, I think when you, the, the, the broadness of the understanding of the text is that we proclaim his excellencies by the things we say and the actions we take and the way that we live. Because I can say, oh, Jesus, you're so wonderful, and I tell people, but here I'm doing actions that are dishonest, and I'm stealing, and I'm slandering, and doing all those things. But we proclaim His excellencies because it's not merely to the world that we live in. It's also to the powers and principalities that rule the world that we live in. We proclaim His excellencies in word and deed. So what are His excellencies? I think there's a lot, but I thought I'd read from Colossians, just because it's so good, if that's all right with you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased, I'm just trying to see where I'm up, to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's, a, it's, an, it's an elevated picture of who Jesus is. And in, in, in our time, in, in trying to make Jesus real to our world, we've, 
We, we speak about Jesus the man, Jesus the human, and, and rightly so. But it's so easy that we just reduce Jesus so much to this that we forget the excellencies, that he is the Son of God, that he is the preeminent one, that all things were created by him, through him, and for him. We need to keep those, both of those in play at all times. Otherwise, it's uh, just following a man. And No, we are actually committed to the living God. So you are. You are something, so that you may proclaim. But why? Why should we do that? Why should I proclaim the excellencies of Jesus? Simple reason is that he showered us with grace and mercy and actually set our feet upon a rock and moved us out of a place of eternal separation into a place of eternal Destiny and eternal life and eternal unity with Him. Um, sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we just walk, and I'm a Christian, but we forget really what that means and what Jesus has really done for us. In all of that, we have to, to receive all of that, actually. We have to exercise faith. We're going to believe that what actually Jesus did and said and who he is, that we actually believe that and appropriate that to our lives and receive new life. It's by grace you have been saved through faith from Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, faith is a conduit. It's like a conduit. It's you're receiving grace. You're receiving person. But grace you've been saved through faith. That's the conduit. Um, in Romans 10, Speaks of if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you know, you, you should be saved. I want to unpack that. You can go read those texts Ephesians 2, Romans 10. They're two amazing texts to help us understand that. And we don't talk about faith a lot anymore. But actually, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Actually, another text says anything not of faith is sin, because it means we're just doing it in our own strength and our own abilities. But when we submit our strength and our abilities and our knowledge and our, all that to God and trust Him, then those things come alive. Is this all right? Kind of basics. But I think I've, I, I, yesterday I just wrestled all day. I had Linda and the girls saying to me, why are you so quiet today? I think my, I was just wrestling through some of this stuff. I don't know why, but I was. We can't live this life that, I, that Jesus is calling us to live, that the apostles are calling us to live. We can't live this life in our own natural strength and natural ability. We, we, we have to have the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. We just have to. So when we sing, come Holy Spirit, come, it's really important that he, he, he's with us. Um, so that we can actually live this life. We need to be empowered. We need to be strengthened. We need wisdom. We need guidance to actually do this. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, which is one of the great chapters of the Bible. I mean, some would say they're all great. This is a greater of the greatest. You know, it's one of those. I want to read from, I'll read from verse 16. Just think, just make a note wherever it says something of the Spirit. But I say, 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And we think, oh, I haven't done any of those. I'm in really good shape. And things like these. So it just covers a whole lot of other multitude of sins. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To actually live the life that the gospel is asking us to live in Christ, that the apostles are urging us to live in Christ, that for 2,000 years teachers and preachers have been encouraging us to live, we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to trust the Holy Spirit. We have to learn how to walk in step. With the Holy Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, strengthened by the Spirit. Does, it, does that make sense? Now we say, oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, we have to learn that. One of the things that I thought about years and years and years and years ago as an early Christian was this idea. When Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, it's good that I go away. And I remember thinking, if I cannot have a relationship with you, Jesus... At least the same that the disciples had with you when they walked the earth with you. Then it's not good that you go away. You think that's a fair sort of observation? But he said it's good. Why? Because he sent the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, when he walked the earth, was in one place at one time with those X amount of people around him. But the Holy Spirit came, the Spirit of Jesus, and he can be everywhere at the same time. And I can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is the same that the disciples had with Jesus when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Otherwise, Jesus is a fat liar. Man, I just don't believe he is. End of 2 Corinthians, the law, 13, chapter 13, verse 14 says... Enjoy the, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the what of the Holy Spirit? Fellowship. Fellowship. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Are you having fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Or is your devotional prayer, whatever you do, is your interaction with God is about the Father and the Son? Do you forget about the Holy Spirit? But it's actually the Holy Spirit that's with us. Jesus, where's Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. But the Spirit of Jesus is with us. He came. What's that day called when the Holy Spirit came? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. Came to be with us, to dwell with us permanently. 
We need to learn to fellowship with the Holy Spirit so that we can rest our head like John put his head on the bosom of Jesus. We can learn to put our spiritual heads on the bosom of the Holy Spirit and draw energy and be with Him and love Him and be cared by Him and learn what it is to walk in step with Him and know His voice every step of every day. It's not pie in the sky. That doesn't mean you can't do anything until the Holy Spirit says, do this and you become robots. It doesn't mean that. It means we still have a brain and we have faculties and we can do all those things. But the Holy Spirit is with us. And when we saturate ourselves in such a relationship with the Holy Spirit, which is God, who brings glory to Jesus and the Father, when we do that, those things of kindness and joy and peace and patience, all those things will just begin to emerge because they fruit. Because our, our roots will be deep in the soil of spiritual life in the Spirit. And we'll be drawing nutrients and fruit will just happen. Is this okay? You with the plot? Back to 1 Peter. Beloved. I love that word in the, in the Greek. I told you, it's such an affectionate word of an old man to these people he loves. I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. I think of the times where I've spoken to my daughters. And I said, sweetie, please, would you just ensure that you do this or do that or get... I'm so, I so love them, I want them to get it. And that's how Peter's writing. And as I've, I think as I've got older, I feel like that. Oh, please, would you get this? Please don't just let this fall away. Please, would you get this and engage this for the sake of what God wants to do and for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of all sorts of things? He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. This Holy Spirit life that Jesus is asking us to live, where we walk in step with the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, when we are strengthened by the Spirit, all things Holy Spirit in, in Jesus is a life where we are travelers, we are sojourners. We are, this is not our permanent home. This world and, and the values of this world are not our permanent hold. We live as exiles, as aliens in this present age. We're in this age. I mean, Jesus said it. You're in it, not of it. So we're in it. Can't get out of it. This is where we're at. But we need to allow the values of, of godliness and the values of, the, of Jesus through the Spirit to impact us and change the way that we live and view the world. Actually, the world needs us to live like that. It's the only way they're going to see Jesus. It's the only way they will see Jesus, unless they have a dream or a vision. They're going to see it through God's people. This is how this world will know by the love that you have for one another. And the devil got that right. We were speaking about that last night as well. The devil got that right and caused us infighting and everyone's angry and everyone's offended and everyone leaves and everyone just, it's chaos. The devil's just laughing at us. Because we, we did not obey that command of Jesus that we would love one another. 
at the deepest roots that we would love one another. And people would know, oh, these people love one another. In, in, in Ephesians 2.19, it says, there's a day coming where you'll no longer be aliens and strangers because we'll be in our home. When we're in the kingdom of God, fully with Jesus, we, we won't be aliens. We'll be, but now we are. Um, so, this word urge. And I, want you to, I want you to kind of think creatively, get word pictures if you can, because I'm going to speak about four words Three of them, and then the text, one's about the Holy Spirit, and see the similarities and just try and work this out, okay? I was, as I was looking at today, it was like, in my own head at least, felt like all the cogs went into place. Urge comes from the word para kaleo, which means, para means alongside. You know, a parachurch organization is an organization that runs alongside the church, okay? A paralegal Someone who works with a, with a lawyer, they work alongside, para. So the word urge is para kaleo. It means to come alongside and to call to attention. So Peter is saying, I'm coming alongside you. I'm calling you to attention. Wake up or whatever. Get with the program. Can you see this? He's urging para kaleo to come alongside and call to attention. It's a strong word. It's not a weak word. It's not a wussy word. It's a strong word. And then he speaks about us being sojourners, travelers. And the Greek word there is, comes from para oikos. Have you seen the word para before? Come alongside. Oikos means to dwell or to live. So a sojourner and going through or lives temporarily comes alongside the people of the land and they dwell there alongside. They do not assimilate. Para oikos. Then he says you are exiles or some translations say aliens. Exiles, aliens. And the Greek is para epidemos. Have you heard the word para before? You come alongside as a stranger. And the word epidemos is made up of two words, epidemos, which means in and among as a people. So we come alongside a people and live as a different sort of people within the, among them. But it's different. It's always para, alongside. And then in John, when Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to send one just like me who will come and be your helper, your comforter. The word there is alos, parakletos. The Holy Spirit is referred to parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help. Have you got some word pictures happening in your head? Like a, like a board game? You know, not Dungeons and Dragons, but a real board game. <laughs> that... Here is the old father in the faith coming alongside these exiles, these people saying, I'm with you, I'm alongside you, I'm calling you to attention. And he said, and you live in the land alongside these people, among these people, but different. And the Holy Spirit is with you to strengthen you, and he's coming alongside you to help 
We need that. We need that on a continual basis. We need to be doing that. When we encourage one another, what are we, what are we encouraging each other to? To encourage, no, stick with it. You can do this. I'm with you. If I come alongside Thomas, I'm Thomas, I urge you, don't give up. I'm, I'm coming alongside you. I'm calling you to attention. I'm with you. I'm with you. Holy Spirit's here with us to help us. We can do this. We don't have to assimilate fully into the culture that we just look like everybody else. When you read the Jeremiah text, he said, you're in exile. Build houses. You know, get married, have kids. Because a day is coming when that season's over and I'm going to take you home. And you're going to go out richer than you went in. And my concern is that we so just blur, blur, blur. That when Jesus comes, does he find us richer than when we started or weaker? If we sojourners and exiles, just remember that's always short stay, Airbnb. This is not permanence. This is short stay. In this world, and the world here means the values and the culture of this world, the dominion of this world. A short stay for us. The long stay is within the kingdom of God. When, the, when there's a restoration of the new heavens and the new earth, and we are one, and, and the presence of God it comes down and dwells with, among people here, yeah, that's eternal. We're no longer aliens, as Ephesians 2 says, we'll no longer be aliens and exiles at that point. Now, then we'll be home for eternity, long stay, home, permanent. It's ours. And the reason we can survive the short stay is because we realize you are this. I have called you to this. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are special people. I've chosen you. I love you. You're a nation, a holy. You're people of my possession. You can do this. I'm not just letting you go. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit as well. Are we still okay? So to live, to live well as sojourners and exiles, I think there's two ways, two things that this text speaks about. One is clear, one is the unpacking of the rest of the text. It's one, we need to engage our culture, and two, we need to abstain from certain things. So to be a follower, a disciple, an apprentice to Jesus in this worldly world, we have to engage and we need to abstain. And both of those are in play. If you just abstain, you end up building a little place in the woods where no, you don't interact with anybody. If you just engage, then you just become the culture and you get assimilated and you're lost. Like the ten tribes of Israel got separated and nobody knows where they are anymore. They just got assimilated. Gone. And so to engage which is what comes after this when we start reading the rest of the text when he starts speaking about how we relate to the authorities in the land, how, we, how slaves and servants relate to masters, how wives relate to husbands and husbands to wives, all flows out of this understanding. Because if you don't get this, that becomes some sort of weird legalistic, some sort of weird thing. But if you understand this, and we'll unpack it when we get to the verse 12, which I won't do today. It'll be part of the next thing. You'll say, oh, this is why. 
But you've got to live in the place that you're in. Wherever you are, live there. You are here. When, I didn't mean to speak so long, I apologize. Um, but when we planted our church in Hillcrest, and we didn't want to plant a church, and we kind of got sent out to plant a church, and God's grace is amazing. But we went to, our, like it was in January, in February, we went to New Covenant Ministry, we went to the lead elders conference. Now we were lead elders. We were the senior pastors of nothing, but we were that. And we went to this meeting, and there were all these people, and, and we knew all the people, so it wasn't like it was strange. But And a friend of ours, my friend Dudley Reed, we called him DJ, he did Lyndon Hours premarital counseling, which is all of 90 minutes. But he, he sidled up to us as we were standing in the worship time, and he says, um, I think I have a word for you, prophetic word. And it was this, if you treat this like a comma, God will make it a period. But if you treat it like a period, God will make it a comma. Because we knew we had been called to the States. Why were we in Hillcrest? It's, it's green. I don't like green. You know what I mean? I like city. It's like changed the whole thing. It's like, no, wherever you're at, live as if you're never leaving so that you are a blessing to those people. But you know your value internally is that you are passing through this world. But while you're in it, live and be a blessing. That's what the Jeremiah 29 text is saying there. Build houses. Be a blessing. Pray for the, the prophet and the, the upkeep of the city that you find yourself in. Because it goes well with them, it'll go well with you. We have to understand that when we start reading these next texts in a few weeks. You know, Genesis 12. Jesus, I mean, God calling Abraham. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. He wants to bless us so that wherever we're at, we can be a blessing. Wherever that, your work, your play, you can be a blessing. Even if your values are different, as we'll get into a little bit later. Look at Daniel, taken into exile. He thrives. Does he ever surrender his value system? Not once. He's prepared to go into the den. His friends are prepared to go into the flames. They will not surrender their values on who they are. And God honors that. And they be a blessing. Look at Joseph. I mean, it's just like there's many of those stories. And that's how we are meant to engage our world. It's aliens and exiles, but as a blessing. How can I do these people good? Where it comes against my value system, I say, No. And then I have to trust God with the consequences of that. Remembering, it's just short stay. So that's it. We have to engage. And we can, I'll, we'll go back into that in the next few weeks. We have to engage our culture. The other side is we need to abstain. In, in, in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, he says so put away. In other, Paul says, take off. We have to abstain from certain things. It's a present tense continual in the Greek, which means it's ongoing. You've got to keep doing it. You don't say, I've abstained from sexual immorality. I am free. Look at me. Woo! Next day, bang. No, it's, I've, got to, I've got to resist. I've got to abstain every day. It's a, I've engaged. I'm in warfare. Because these things, they war against our soul. 
They wage war against our soul. So what is your soul? It's, your, it's that is, that describes your whole being. It's that that holds you all together, your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit. It's your soul. It speaks about you. And these things that we need to abstain from, if we don't, they war against our soul. They wage war. And it's so easy to think that we can compartmentalize our lives. And you can't. Because when you engage that stuff, it wars against your soul. Now, none of us is perfect. Everybody sins. We're not saying that. But when we, we don't think about it, and we don't realize that we, each day we're entering a war zone, and we just go into the day, then we just get overrun. Well, no, we need to be aware of these things. Um, when he says abstain, the, you know, the Bible, one of the, one of the great sort of principles of the Bible is be holy. I mean, Jesus, I mean, God calls his people, he says, I'm your, be holy as I am holy. It's, it's important. Um, and we, we saw in Galatians 5. So this word, wage war. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Strata, stratonomai. Is that right? Wage war. Stratonomai. No, but I, I, I've got to be truthful. I've got to wage war against lying. Strata enomai. Strata enomai. Which actually comes from the understanding of an encamped army that surrounds, sieges. It's present tense. No? So the enemy... Presently, every day, is in wanting to camp around us and has a strategy and is warring against us to bring us down. You know, another text says that the, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Another place, I think Paul writes, he said, the devil, do not underestimate the devil's schemes. He has strategy. It's not haphazard. He's out to get us. You never thought you were going to get to talk like this today, did you? The moment you say, here's the line, I'm stepping into living for Jesus, you step into combat zone. You've got war. And I'm going to say this again, as I've said at least a hundred times in my life, if not more. If you try, do that by yourself, you will fail. Not you might, you will fail because you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot live the life that God intends us to live to make a difference in our culture, in our world, doing it by yourself. It just cannot be done. It was never the intention. It cannot be done. Is that, is that clear? What kind of? You, we need each other. And if I'm the only one, by God, it, I need you. Because I need you to come alongside me and say, I urge you to abstain. I urge you. I need you to do that to me. Because I'm just a sinner like everyone else. And I can fall and stumble and be tempted and all those things just like anybody else. And you need someone to come alongside you. I urge you. You're going into battle today. I urge you. That's why I said, I think that's what, 
mean, it's not a law, but I think it's, that's why you, you pray in the morning because you're going into the day. If you pray in the evening, you might be dead already. It's like, I'm going to go into battle, and when I get home tonight, I'll load the bullets. No, load them before you go out. Now, verse 12, which says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. You'll know what we're talking about. I'm going to cover that next time, all right, as we lead into this next step. But I would love you, if you can, read Exodus 19 and 20 as kind of homework. And go see what, it, what, what God says, well, how I called you out of Egypt. I called you to be my possession, to be a kingdom of priests. And, that. and then he gives them the Ten Commandments, which is before all the details of the law. He says, because I want you to live different. I want you to live them because you're going in this land because there's still foreigners in this land and it's becoming your land, but I want you to be different. Can I close with two little readings? Would that be all right? This is from John Stott. Anyone read any of John Stott? So He was a lovely old man. I met him once. Um, he has passed away. How is the Christian to react when faced with the opposition of the world? He is certainly not to retaliate. Nor is he to lick his wounds in self-pity. Nor is he to withdraw into safety and sheltered seclusion away from the disagreeable enmity of the world. No, he is bravely to bear witness to Jesus Christ before the world and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is the world, sometimes indifferent and apathetic on the surface, but underneath actively aggressive and rebellious. How are they to hear, to understand, to repent, and to believe? How are they to be brought to give sentence in favor of the Jesus who stands on trial before them? The answer is through our testimony. It is because of the unbelieving world's opposition to Christ that the church's witness to Christ is needed. Isn't that great? The world is opposed, and in the dock they oppose. We need the credible witnesses to stand up and say that. And this is from my favorite book, Soul Keeping. Remember I said this war is against our soul. I can read this. <clears throat> How many of you have read this book yet? It's so rebellious. Yeah, yeah, they read it, yeah. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills... Far beyond anyone's sight lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with the money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs 
went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, and the money was found. The old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your, your soul, and you are the keeper. In Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard said this, and this is a story I think comes from there. Our soul is like a stream of water, which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom, including nature. And all else within us is enlivened, enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality and the rest of human nature and nature at large. The enemy is warring against our souls. And it just takes a little bit over a long period of time to muddy and we lose life. Could you think about that for a while, this stuff? Maybe you could just think about the image of a, the river and that the river is your soul and you are the keeper and what it might be. It's muddying your soul, warring against your soul that has come down that river and has taken life and fragrance and beauty and color from you.